Engaging Podcast is brought to you by Engaging Classrooms Week. Do you ever wonder how your peers are engaging their students and weaving active learning into their classrooms? Us too. That's why we created Engaging Classrooms Week. This week-long event features open classrooms where SHSU faculty can observe their peers as they teach in real time. If you're interested in opening your classroom during next year's EC Week, shoot us an email at engaging at shsu.edu and we will get you started on the process. So today's conversation is about active learning myths and our guests have provided us with some myths that they would like to talk about. Today we have on our podcast, Jamie Coyne from the School of Teaching and Learning. Welcome, Jamie. Hi. And Zach Dolishal from the History Department. Welcome, Zach. Hello. And we are going to be talking about active learning myths. So... Jamie, you are a professional in education research, and Zach, you're a historian. So both of you um, really can say a lot to me, I think, about the myth that active learning is a new thing. Um, So Jamie, why don't you start us off with a conversation about how actually active learning isn't a new thing? Well, active learning, well, first of all, Active learning is when students are really engaged and hands-on learning. And so think about even when you are in the elementary school, we do hands-on learning all the time. Um, from It's when so students play in centers, um, all the way up to like even high school when they're doing experiments. What active learning is, is definitely not a new concept. I do think that individuals um, who tend to use a lot of lecture are a little bit nervous about actually just incorporating active learning, which is which is very simple. And it really does engage the students. And um, it is definitely not a new concept. It's really applying your new knowledge in a real life situation. Um, we actually do it every time when we learn new information, we actually apply it. But it's really not a new concept when it comes to, to teaching and learning. Um, it's just it's I know some individuals get a little bit nervous about incorporating um, activities, especially hands on when they're so used to doing lecture or being the, you know, the sage on the stage, as they say. Um, so it is definitely not a new concept, but it, research has shown that it does help students engage and um, help them um, with their critical thinking skills. It also helps them in social skills and working together as a team. Zach, would you like to? Yeah, so (laughs) it is indeed quite an old idea and it's at the foundations of modern education. Uh, I would take someone all the way back to the 17th century and look at this amazing person named Jan Comenius or Kominsky, who was this uh, kind of Renaissance figure, and he wrote a lot about education, what education was, and was really a pioneer in creating what we have now in America in terms of kindergarten, elementary, et cetera, all the stages of our school system. He was the person who came up with that. And part of this, and this is why it's kind of interesting, we sometimes think, oh, this is like a fad. Um, Part of his vision was investigation. He very much encouraged 
what he called learning by nature. So getting students, kids to go out into the woods around the schoolhouse and explore and investigate. And if you couldn't sort of answer a question with investigation, um, then you needed to go to a different question, basically, is what he thought. So, his, you know, th this is and then, of course, we have Montessori uh, following up on this. I mean, it's just a really a big part of educational philosophy. And um, unfortunately, there's still specifically in higher education, um, maybe a resistance to these these foundational thinkers from the Enlightenment era in, in terms of Comenius's example anyway, to a mi more medieval approach. And it really is a medieval approach, the stand and deliver at the lecture. I mean, that was how early universities did it. Um, and so to see it continue through university education all the way to today. Um, yeah, I guess it is a new fad of the 17th century. <laughs> so both of you included the myth mm -hmm. in that it's too much work for instructors. Um, so let's talk about that. Why, why do you think that's a myth? Do you want me to go first this time and you can, okay. So I'll, I'll go first this time and then, and then Jamie, you can hammer home the last, you know, Hammer it home. <laughs> well, it's it's a myth because I think people see it as an entire reorganization of their course. Like it, like they they're going to have to break everything down and build it up from scratch. And really, active learning can be as small as just stopping yourself from providing an answer and simply asking students well, why is this the case, right? Instead of giving them the answer for that, you give them an example and then why is this the case? And then you give them time and space to figure it out in the classroom in real time, right? That that doesn't require exactly a, a massive breakdown of, of what the course already was structured or the, the content or the material. It can be a radical reorganization, of course, but it doesn't have to be. It, it can really, you can really start quite slow. And I think that people forget that, oh, I don't have to do the whole thing all at once. I can do this. I'll try this one thing in this one class in this one week and then build off of that as you go through your career. And I, I actually think that when using active learning, it can really be daunting for individuals, even just using that vocabulary. But honestly, I tell individuals to start small incorporate one or two activities. Um, here are a couple activities, of course, that they pair share when individuals, when your students can actually partner with another classmate, you give them a question, they discuss, and then they share out, or what's called the pause procedure. So every two minutes, or uh, pause for two minutes for every like 15 to 16 minutes, ask a question, um, have them engage in some discussion with a partner and then, of course, share out um, concept mapping. But one that I really like to do with um, students is provide them a case scenario. So giving them new information and then giving them some type of 
scenario in which in a group, they actually have to solve, work together as a team. Um, and one of the things that I like to do is I'll, I'll give them like a piece of poster paper that they can actually post um, on the wall. Uh, one of the things too that uh, in one of my articles I did talking about what's called project-based learning. And so it was for a, a group of physical ed students and um, we gave them a project where they had to create a field day for elementary students. And the purpose was for that was to really apply what they're learning. So um, I know that, again, it can be a little bit daunting, but if you just use a little ideas, you know, just expand what you're doing in your, in your teaching. Um, but again, for those that are starting out, start with one or two activities. Uh, kind of like even Zach, Zach said about like doing, you know, a, a couple uh, with partners like Think, Pair, Share or, you know, um, things like that, that just, and then as your confidence grows, then you can expand a little bit more. Um, but I really, you will find that students really are more engaged and excited. But again, what I really like is that you're able to assess, are they getting it? Are they not getting it? And it's a quick assessment. Instead of waiting to the end for like a unit test, you're able to say, you know what? You're not, let's let's adjust our teaching and let's, let's like rephrase this or readjust, modify our teaching so students can get it. So um, yeah, so I, to me, it is not too much work. In fact, it, it actually helps. Um, instead of waiting to the end, you're like, oh my gosh, that unit, I just did not teach it very well. If during, you know, doing the active engagements, if you're able to do these activities, they're able to apply their knowledge, and you're like, ooh, they're getting it, they're not getting it. Um, it you're able to adjust your, your teaching. Yeah, I think also you sort of see what the students are thinking in a much more clear way um, in the ways that you're talking about, that you get that feedback immediately for yourself as well. Absolutely. <laughs> you see their process, you see their mind, you know, like, and you're also actually able to see things in a different way. And sometimes students really like to learn from peers. So you're able to see how they're interacting and how they're learning from peers through, through the active-based um, learning. Great. So that kind of leads naturally into the myth that active learning can't be done in large classes. So Jamie, tell me about your experience with that. So I hear this myth all the time because, you know, you could be in this lecture hall and you've got, you know, hundred even more students. Uh, one of the things that I would advise is have them actually break out in small groups. And one of the things that I've done is I tell them, okay, I want you to assign a representative. And so that representative is the person that is going to like get supplies if needed or able to share out. Um, but and also too, one of the things that if you're going to do a actual like project, um, I would definitely do groups instead of partners because of the time that is needed. Uh, but one of the things that I would suggest too is while they are working in groups, definitely model your expectations. Um, and actually, when they're in groups, that you as an instructor walk around, check in in each group talk to them, see how they're doing. It's also a great way to really get to know your students, especially when you've got, you know, you know, a quite a large class size. You get to know them. Again, you're assessing, are they doing, are they, are they understanding? Um, 
And then you you walk around, kind of assess, talk to them, interact, uh, and see and see how they're doing. And then I usually always make sure that I, I watch my time. And you also have got to be very careful. I've learned this the hard way to not give them any downtime. So make sure you are efficient with your time. Don't give them too much time. But, you know, because what happens if you give them too much time and you've got all these groups going, they're going to have, you're going to have a couple groups who are going to finish first. And then guess what they're going to do? They're going to lose focus. They're going to pull out their phone. They're going to go on their laptop. So, you know what, that's one piece of advice with large groups is make sure you, you kind of balance with time. Do check-ins. How are you, how's your group doing? Y'all need two more minutes. Okay. The whole class, two more minutes, but don't give them too much. Um, and then at the end, that representative does a quick share. So if you're doing a group little project, that representative will share out for the group. Again, I think I've shared we get poster paper. You can do it on the wall where they can share. Um, but actually, it's such also a great way for one, to get to know your students. Two, it helps with peer interaction, learning from each other. Um, and three, assessment. You know, you're walking around, seeing how they're doing. Um, it also really builds that connection between the instructor and the students, because if you're talking to them, you know, usually if it's a lecture, if it's a 100% lecture, if that's what you're used to doing, you really don't get to know your students. You don't really talk to them on a one-on-one, -on -one, but if you're walking around while they're doing group projects, you get to know them, get to know their name, think about how they're thinking. It really really connects that name and their learning. So um, honestly, with groups, if I had like teaching large groups, honestly, using um, active learning is the way to go. It, it really is shown it to be effective. Yeah, I do a thing in my large uh, US History 1301, that's the introductory course. And uh, it is really fun and and quite memorable to the students they always comment on it at the end and it has them play the part of these colonial or indigenous people their groups and they have this kind of negotiation that they have to go uh, and undertake they have to do a little bit of research as to who they are and then in class talk to each other as representatives of say the dutch or the Powhatan Confederacy. And as they're doing this, the classroom turns totally chaotic. I mean, you have to be okay with that one. Like if you're gonna do some of these big classroom things, like it's okay that you're not in control anymore. Like you have to kind of get your mind around it. And that took me a while. Like it's not an easy thing to give up control of a classroom, um, but it it's so worth it because then they take ownership. And if you have students like, say, I, I, you know, I'll never forget, I had this one group that were re representing the, 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 the French and they had these specific things they needed to get, you know, but the, a couple of them were very serious and a couple of them didn't care. And they, those ones that didn't care were whipped right in, you know, they were just brought right into the game so quickly um, by the ones that did. Um, and, you know, and it makes you feel like, okay, I, I can reach a lot more people by using a lot of the, the student energy than I can trying to just perform on my own. Um, and yeah, so it, it, it really can work. And, and if you're okay, kind of saying, all right, it's going to be a little loud. There gonna, there's going to be movement. Students remember that they get excited about it. 
and uh and really you know it it comes through in the end uh but in the, in the moment it might feel like oh gosh <laughs> what have i done yeah i think um if you like structure the structure has to just be placed somewhere else you know the structure has to be in your preparation instead of in your classroom Obviously, I'm not going to say that I think it's impossible for someone who's like really very structured. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's um, it's a different kind of structure than than we're used to that than we, we were taught. Right. On the subject of structure, one of the myths that we have is that students prefer lecture um, and kind of two sides of that same thing is uh, that they don't learn as much because of this uh, different situation. So what do you think about those those two things? So I, I will go. Um, students, when it, when it comes to active learning, students are engaged more. And I know as as a student, it can kind of feel a little uncomfortable because most most university classes is a hundred percent lecture, and it kind of gets gets out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, but then once you become engaged, you really get interested, and you become vested, and you become um, you know owning your own your your own learning. You are um, one of the things too is that um, I work in the College of Ed, and we prepare teachers, and so um, and I actually had taught a social studies methods class, and you know they would tell me how that. Unfortunately, they did not learn as much as they wish they would have in the K through 12 classroom because it was mostly lecture based. Let's read the textbook, answer the questions at the end. And did, they did not have a chance to apply what they were actually learning. And so whenever we were, you know, teaching the methods class, um, I did more of a flipped classroom where they actually uh, actually reviewed the material and then we would actually apply it in class. And um, so many of the students were just inspired and they said, wow, I really like social studies. They before then, they're like, I hated social studies, but they're like, wow, I love it. I wish I actually were, was taught this way. But what it does, it really inspires them to be to use these active learning strategies as a teacher in their classroom. And that's what we really want. We really want to to prepare these students to go out and be teachers that model this. Um, but also, you know, where it talks about do students learn as much research has consistently shown that students will retain, they will build those critical thinking skills. Um, in fact, there, are, there was a study that said that students are one and a half times more likely to fail a course if it's a 100% lecture. And um, I know it probably has to do with, you know, the material and, the, and of course, the professor. Uh, but it made me think, why is that? And I think it's because when you're learning material, you you need a chance to actually apply what you're learning. You know, I, I go back again to even like teaching. Um, some of my best learning experiences was when I was a teacher and I was actually my first year in student teaching. I was applying what I was learning and think about like jobs and internships. They're applying what they're learning. And I think that is why 
um, with active learning, having the opportunity to apply your new knowledge, why students are able to retain more and able to, to increase their knowledge base. Um, so I definitely think that is definitely a myth that has, that has been, um, that's been debunked several times. There's many studies out there showing the, the, um, the importance, but, uh, the research behind, how active learning can can help students achieve it and also build their self-efficacy. Yeah, and to echo really what Jamie has just said, there is this idea that students like lecture and it's not really a myth. It, uh, research has shown that it's actually kind of true and it's really fascinating research. So I came across a study where a group of physicists at Harvard, um, they uh, published it in 2019. It's called Measuring Actual Learning Versus Feeling of Learning in Response to Being Actively Engaged in the Classroom. Wonderful title, of course, but very interesting because what they found were, was that students do have an inherent bias against active learning, even though they objectively learned more. So these students were given a standardized test in their physics classes at Harvard um, in both kinds of classes, and they did way better. Um, two standard deviations above um, the, 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 the regular. And so it, it showed, okay, you're gonna do better in an active learning class, but then when they reflected on it, they thought they learned less because they had to interact with each other and teach themselves. So they thought that because they were doing that, they weren't getting as much, right? And so that initial attitude is a real challenge of, of people that do this. Um, they suggest quite a few uh, ways to kind of get around it. Um, I would also suggest from my own practice, make sure you are transparent. You talk about why you're doing it. Um, you don't just throw throw it at the students. You show you you tell them why exactly this works. Um, you talk about things like the this study, right, with your students at the beginning. You you kind of walk them into your practice so that they know why it's happening and it's not just uh, their their bias, you know, having free reign against what uh, what you're introducing them to. But, but yeah, as Jamie said, I mean, regardless of initial attitudes, there is overwhelming evidence that students learn more when they are actively engaged in the classroom. One of the most famous studies, uh, Richard Hake uh, published the results of a long-term study, 6,000 students in an introductory to physics course. This came out in 98, um, 1998, <laughs> that showed students who took a course that employed active learning techniques performed way above those that took a course that did not use any active learning techniques. So why do we cling to lecture only approaches? If all of, there's just all of this research, there are many other studies like that. Um, you know, I think it's inertia um, and I think it's the idea score. I think that uh, people are afraid because of this initial bias that their students are going to score them lower because they're asking them to do cooperative work, which has been shown to be far more effective. Um, and so we really, you know, we can get around that, but we, we need a big change in overall higher ed and Anyway, yeah. 
Well, you have beautifully foreshadowed my <laughs> my uh, next section of myths, um, which are about assessment. Mm. And then, so one of those myths is about lower idea scores. Um, so Jamie, tell, tell us what you think about the lower yes. idea scores. Yes, absolutely. Um, a lot of professors are and instructors are nervous, I think, about IDEA scores because it's like losing that sense of control. Oh my gosh, my students are going to go out, especially in large classes. Uh, they're nervous uh, also applying anything new. But there was a survey um, of student engagement from over 1,600 colleges, and it showed that active learning actually produced high levels of student achievement and personal development. Um, so because students actually retain more information um, and they're able to, you know, you know, if you're doing active learning ideas and, 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 and strategies, students are more likely also to, to remember, you know, like, oh, that was a really cool activity. I remember being engaged. I remember working with together as a team um, that it will actually um, make it more memorable. Um, and also, you know, Professors are, you know, I've, I've talked to a few who said, you know what, I am going to try one or two active learning strategies. And and once that they have, it's like, oh, I like this. I, I thought I was, I was a little scared at first, but um, I, I, I like it. My students like it. You know, they started small and. Um, you know, also was getting feedback from the students to see how it was going um, and they would not go back to 100% lecture. They really like doing the activities. And I really think that um, that it shows that it actually improves IDEA scores um, because it keeps students engaged and it keeps them uh, more, uh, it helps them retain the information. So that is definitely, um, definitely a myth that I, I think that is, I've heard so many times, student professors are worried about their scores, um, but in the end, we also got to do what is best for students. And if we want to build students who can think critically, who can apply their knowledge, who can work together as a team, building those social skills, we need, we really, our students deserve to learn and to use active learning in their own learning and in our teaching. Um, so I really think we have to look past the IDEA scores. It's a little scary at first, um, but that's with anything that you're implying. And it, think about when you teach a new course, it's a little scary at first. Um, you know, you kind of expect your scores to be a little bit lower, but as you get more comfortable and you get more confident, you'll see an increase and you'll find that you will, that students will like it and that you yourself will like it. And you will see your, your you'll see your students' knowledge and achievement go up and, and keeping them also more engaged and more attuned to, to what they're learning. And I would say that, you know, just personally, from an anecdotal level of my own experience, that you, if you're in it, you know, if you're into it, uh, you have, you put your heart into it, your scores really, they're not going to go down. Um, for me, they're, they're roughly the same, maybe a little bit higher in active learning classes, because I get really excited about that. But, you know, they're, they're not. Uh, a, there's not a big drop off at all, if any, um, for most people that are really engaged with it. But 
if you're, you know, if, if you're timid and, and you might fail at first and then you don't go back to it, that I think that's when you get in kind of a, a real defensive posture about it. Uh, but, but I think that the, the, the evaluation of teaching is problematic to rely on this sort of popularity uh, contest in some ways where, you know, did you, did you have fun in the class or, or did you learn the skills that you needed in the class? And it's something that we, all of us uh, in higher ed are dealing with and trying to come through. I believe that students have, and one, a right to evaluate their professors. I think that's a great thing. But I think when it's so overly important that it, it restricts people from doing what is best for the students, with overwhelming evidence, as, as we've already talked about, to say, look, these techniques work and they work better, and here is proof, um, then we really need to reevaluate what, how we're using it and what it does, um, what it's tied to. Uh, I, I also think, you know, this, if this program, right, that, Brandy, you're, uh, you, you kind of launched. Um, and the Engaging Classrooms program. The Engaging Classrooms program, the, you know, the whole uh, QEP uh, for this university um, that's the kind of thing that's that can make a real difference. Like the institution has to get involved because of the inertia. If you don't have like the resources and the time to really think deeply about how you're going to teach a course and and get training and, and have the uh, materials and knowledge, um, yeah, why change at all? Because so few of us are actually taught how to teach. Outside of the College of Education, of course, so few of us ever learn how to teach. We're just sitting there. And of course, we're very good at the lecture. That is what we dominate, right? I mean, for most of us in the humanities, gosh, we could just absorb all of it. We got the narrative structure. We could repeat it back. Uh, we could read the books, get the thesis, repeat it back in you know written form, and we were rewarded constantly rewarded you know AAA. And then the A students, they become the professors, and they're doing what they loved. But of course, the vast majority of students aren't that at all. Like we're we're teaching ourselves in so many ways. And when I kind of broke out of that, it made my classes so much more. I thought, you know, accessible, equitable, everybody could get a voice. It wasn't just me talking about what I'm so excited about. It was, you know, everyone could participate in a way or another. And what I do is I kind of give them topics to talk about. Um, so they're, you know, they, they have these historic kind of characters that they have to think about and, and you know, uh, uh, use to try to win little scenarios um, so you don't have to even use your their own voice, which some students are very uh, afraid of, and you know in the classroom. But but anyway, I I um, I think pushing people a little bit um, with the resources of a university to try this, uh, like we're like we have started to do here, is really the only way to move. Uh, the vast majority of people out of this comfort zone that we've been continually rewarded through being good at. Yeah, that's definitely the goal of the Engaging Classroom program. 
to provide support for faculty members who need help with active learning. So many programs. <laughs> um, I do want to go back to the the physics study that you mentioned because I, if it's if I recall correctly, the recommendation of that study um, was that you give students a lecture about why active learning is better. Is that correct? <laughs> Yeah, that's one of their major recommendations. That's like the number one recommendation. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, and I think that's an interesting conversation too. Like where should lecture for, you know, active learning gurus like ourselves, if I may be so bold, um, where does the lecture go? Is the lecture bad? You know, are we, is it some sort of antagonism between people that do, you know, what we're, what we've been doing and then the lecture folks, I mean, there kind of is in some ways, right? Because we're trying to get them to break out of this routine over and over again. But at the same time, I think so much of uh, active learning literature can go too far and to like put them out on some kind of you know, island of traditionalism. Um, and and I did it at the beginning of this podcast, right? I was like, it's a medieval practice, folks, which of course it is, but it doesn't mean it's totally wrong. I mean, the, the lecture has such a good place. I mean, they need an expert. That's why you're there. They need an expert that you need to provide the connective tissue between these assignments. And that's you, that's your knowledge. So I think that's not a bad idea to have a lecture on why active learning and why you're doing it and to show them the evidence and to talk them through it. I believe in lectures. I really think they're effective. But if a student knows it's that's what it is, that's all it's going to be. That's total passivity, right? You just turn your brain off and you just take your notes or you don't even take notes. I don't, Some students don't even take notes anymore. I don't know what that's about. Okay. Do we have any? Well, what, wait. What do you what? think about that? Do you think that was an an, an in, like a unsatisfactory uh, answer to that problem that they found? Are you Are you asking me? Or I'm asking, asking you? you. Yeah, Brandy. No, I mean, I I think that whatever whatever you can get your student, it's it's very difficult in math. I think, and probably other disciplines, but. I only have this one experience um, <laughs> to convince students that they can learn better if they're participating. And like every math teacher that I ever had in high school said, math is not a spectator sport, but then they lectured about the algebra or geometry or whatever it was. Right. Um, and so I think students are coming at me from a place of having had math teachers always say that and still giving lectures anyway. And so a lot of them say things to me like, well, I just don't learn this way. I learn better from a lecture and I haven't tried it yet, but it's a probably a really good piece of advice for me even to just on the first day, give a 10 minute lecture about why we're doing this thing, which is about as long as I ever lecture about anything anyway. So it's... <laughs> Jamie, do you have any uh, thoughts on that? No, I I agree with you. I think I go back to to thinking about teaching others math, and 
you also want them to be able to conceptually understand. And sometimes the way to conceptually understand is actually by applying, by actually doing. So you're given this lecture, but if they're not given an opportunity to engage and to do that hands-on, you know, they've got to see that that connection. So I, I definitely think um, I think we need more math teachers like you um, that are able to, to, because through that, they're able to understand and what, why, you know, so many students say, why do I need this math? But if you're able to apply it to real life situations and be able to like, oh, I get it now. Um, I, I think that um, there's always a disconnect um, sometimes with, with, with teachers teaching math and not really showing individuals why this is important. But if you're using like, like you, if you're using more active base, they're able to like understand, be able to see that conceptual, you know, and they're able to build that conceptual understanding and also to work together as a team and help each other. Because I'm sure you've noticed too, some students are really good with also learning from peers and teaching peers and working together as, as a team. Um, I think, I think that is very also important in math. So, um, and any, and any content. There's a, I'm struggling with whether I want to say this on a recording. (laughs) There's a section of calculus that I didn't learn as an undergraduate because Mm -hmm. I skipped class. Um, and then when I went to graduate school, I had to be the TA for that class. Um, and so there's that section of calculus that I went into a semester, not knowing at all. And I had to learn together and then teach to my students. And that's kind of where active learning started for me because I was, I, it's the thing in calculus that I now know the most about because I had to learn it and teach it in real time. (laughs) Well, and, and I also think that, gosh, there are so many windows of opportunity for assessment when it comes to active learning. You're able to do that real-time assessment if students are getting it or not getting it instead of waiting to the end to do a chapter test or a unit test or, you know, if they're able to and, and see kind of like the process of their thinking. Um, I, I'm just such a firm believer in and using active learning because it lends itself to those informal assessments um, that, you know, students are explaining, summarizing, synthesizing. Um, you know, I, I just think that it's just so powerful um, and that you're able to see, you know, like just, you know, sometimes a typical test that's like a multiple choice or you're able to, when students do projects or work together as a team or do, you know, even an interactive discussion you're able to see their thought process. And if there is some type of misunderstanding, um, you're able to kind of see where they're, where is it that they're misunderstanding or help them, um, you know, help them understand. You're able to see their perspective. Um, you know, you're not, I hate to say, you're not waiting for them to fail. You're actually like, hey, I, let's, let's, let's fix this or let's, let's see if we can re, um, reteach this before you get too deep in. Um, so that's another reason too that I, I like active learning is because the process and the assessment and, um, helping students with misconceptions, um, you know, to, to try to minimize that and to see their thought process and their conceptual of their understanding. Yeah. I'd say that. 
um, we as faculty have to take on the attitude that we want our students to have, which is to be okay with getting something wrong. Because, you know, when you're teaching, whether you're lecturing or not, you're going to get something wrong, right? So um, if you're kind of thinking about getting into active learning, then you have to be okay with getting it wrong the first time. <laughs> um, and that sort of takes us back to the idea store score conversation where, you know, like you, you might get it wrong, but once you. But, you know, I, I, I think it also, you have to build an environment that's conducive that, to that type of learning that students are, you as a professor, if, if you're new to active learning, you're getting a little out of your comfort zone. And for them to see you do it, it, it encourages them, but to build that connection where students or build that environment where students can, you know, take on projects, work together as a team and can take risk. And it's okay if you're wrong. You tried or you know what? Sometimes mistakes are our best learning experiences. If a student, you're able to see their understanding, their perspective. But I think the most important thing is building that environment that students can take risks, that they can get out of their comfort zone. And if they see you kind of getting out of your comfort zone, it kind of helps them, helps them to um, be able to, to make those mistakes, especially the students that are tend to be the quiet or, or ones that maybe are lacks, you know, confidence in a certain content area. Um, it helps them kind of um, see, you can see their potential or you can help them kind of break out of their you know, their little box or their comfort zone. Um, so I really think as the instructor, you really got to build that, that that classroom environment that students do have. They feel comfortable um, in, in, in taking risk and, you know, doing projects that's not like, you know, listening to lectures. They're actually actively involved in, and um, they're okay sharing with their classmates, you know, um, sharing out, you know, their projects, um, you know, just building that positive, classroom environment is just so key. Okay, is this, these have just all been really great pieces of advice that you have provided for our listeners. So before we finish up, is there any other advice that you would like to uh, provide for new or interested practitioners of active learning? I would say that the risk uh, is entirely worth it. Um, it invigorates you. It changes your perspective about teaching. It really can get uh, an energy level in your classroom that you may be desperately needing or wanting. Um, uh, it's, it's really easy to get bored with uh, routine uh, when you have everything kind of packaged in the course and is predictable if if you kind of open it up and let students do these cooperative learning assignments projects it is very much an invigorating experience and well worth the effort for advice for those that want to actually incorporate active learning i would say start small, try one or two activities um, 
And, you know, maybe if, even at the end of your class, just a one or two activities, um, think pair share or doing something with like a um, give them like a, a very um, thought provoking question and have them work together um, with a partner or a group, um, you know, and then build on maybe do a case study, do a project. Um, but I can guarantee that once you actually incorporate this type of this type of active learning in your classroom, you will not want to go back because you will see students engaged, excited about, you know, attending your class and you will see your achievement go way up. So um, I would definitely say it's definitely worth the risk. And um, again, start small, build that confidence and um, you will definitely it will definitely be worth it. Great. Thank you both so much for um, this wonderful conversation and giving me your time today. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. <laughs> thank you for the thank you for the wonderful opportunity. Um, I really enjoyed um, listening to Zach, but also just to um, to listen and to to join in this discussion of something that's really really powerful and can be um, very impactful to students. Engaging Podcast is brought to you by Odyssey Grants. Are you looking for some active learning professional development out there? Well, we would like to get you there. So we invite you to apply for an Odyssey Grant. This travel grant will support you for up to $2,000 as you engage in active learning development. Check out the application on our website at www.shsu.edu.